You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, the big news of the day, Mr. Tremont Williams will be coming back to the Green Bay Packers. I don't believe that's officially official yet, but it is expected. I don't know who says, but uh, according to everything I can see, it's uh, basically a done deal, just more or less a formality, and it kind of makes sense. The Packers know a lot of things about Tremont. Tremont knows a lot of things about the Packers. There's not a lot of things, if the Packers decide, I think I would like Tremont Williams back on this team for any number of reasons. There's, there's almost no reason why it wouldn't work out. He's been playing. He was playing for the Baltimore Ravens. He played last week against Buffalo. There's no issue with not understanding the scheme. There's no issue. I mean, and, and on top of all that, they know that he is, above everything else, a professional and a really hardworking person. You don't play football at 38 years old without being a special kind of person. And I don't mean special in the way that Darnell and Rashawn and A.J. Dillon are special, where they're physical freaks. He's not. He was an undrafted free agent in 2006. He's not a physical freak. He's just a guy that takes really good care of himself and works really hard to stay young, despite being very far from being young. So again, if they decide, I think we should bring in Tremont, unless it's just to see him and say hi, I don't know what could possibly be the holdup. The only possible thing is he sustained some kind of an injury, and it was not really known about and he comes there and he's cobbling around they're like oh never mind he's he's not gonna pass the medical exam that's about it that's i mean otherwise it's done to be honest this this one kind of reminds me of donald driver the last time we won a super bowl and i i I don't know i I don't want to get too crazy about it but as many times as we've been on a super bowl run been in the playoffs has it ever felt this real before the only time it's ever felt like this for me was when the Packers beat Atlanta the last time they won the Super Bowl. When they beat Atlanta, I said, this is, this is it. I mean, this team is going to win. Now, they've still got some massive hurdles, but it's it just, I mean, we, we've been in the playoffs before many times. That I, I just, I, I even remember back when we beat Dallas that time when Dez didn't catch it or whatever. I remember being so fired up for that game. That was one of the most fired up I've been for a game since probably this past time we played one but something about that next week was like I just I didn't feel good about it last year I was nervous about Seattle we trounced them and even so you go up against you know San Francisco and it's like I don't know I know they can win but I'm not it just it feels like such a different year and I you know as stupid as it is to sit here and say fate has anything to do with who's going to win Tampa Bay or Green Bay of course it doesn't there's two football teams that really want to win football games that are going to play, and whoever comes up with the best game plan, whoever executes the best, is going to end up winning the game. But it's it just I have that same feeling I had when we won the Super Bowl the last time. Where it's like, I'm not even scared. There's, there's just no way after all this. There's no way that the football gods would bring us through all this, all this, and it's not going to work out. How many times have we said special season? Never seen anything like it. Best Packers offense we've ever seen. Aaron Rodgers, best season ever. Best left tackle, best wide receiver, best corner in football. Best safety duo in football. 
the running back trio. I mean, just everything just feels so massive. But Tampa's good. Chiefs are good. Buffalo's good. No guarantees. As far as I'm concerned, statistically, there's a one in four chance. But man. But the Tremont thing specifically reminds me of Donald Driver in a weird way because I remember when we were going on that run, Donald was just not cutting it at that point in time. He was clearly the lesser of the group of wide receivers. He was having drop issues. He just was not the same guy at all. And I remember a Bears friend, Bears fan friend of mine said we'd be better off just not playing him. And deep down, it felt like that's probably true. But I thought, no way. No way we're not playing Donald Driver. He's deserved this Super Bowl win as much as anybody. Remember, we picked up Donald Driver the year after we won the Super Bowl. So he was on that whole stretch. He was kind of close to uh, like a Randall Cobb. You know, we picked up Randall after we won the Super Bowl, and he never ended up getting one. How crazy would that be if we picked up Randall Cobb? I'm not saying, I mean, you know, I'm just, just bring the band back together. Like, dude, hey, you, you want to win a Super Bowl? Because we're not going to pay you very much. I'm just saying. I don't even think you can do that, but I'm just, you know, whatever. I, in fact, I know you can't, but it would be it would be funny. But it just kind of has that feel where it's like, I, I don't know what Tremont can do. I, I, I have no idea. I don't know how big of a thing this is going to be. I just want him to be here because he deserves to be here. And I know he was on the Packers last time we won a Super Bowl. I, it's, so what? I just want him to be here for the ride. If he can help a little bit on special teams or possibly play a little corner, I, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to do. Kind of don't care either. <laughs> I don't care. If Mike Pettin brings him in and puts him on the field and decides that he's the better man for the job at, at whatever job that may be, or Sean Menenga, although maybe we should just let Lafleur make the ultimate decision. I don't know if I trust Menenga to make any decisions. If they decide he's the better guy, great. If he just is there on the sideline for moral support while we win a Super Bowl, also great. I kind of just want him to be here. I want him to be wearing a green and gold jersey. That's really all I care about. Now, would it be the most amazing thing in the world if he came back and got some kind of an interception or made a big play sometime along this playoff run? That would just be the best thing ever. Do I expect it? Not necessarily. And and understand, I, I was a massive Tremont Williams proponent. When he was in Cleveland and he left Cleveland in 2016, I was saying we need to bring him in. I don't, I don't think I had the podcast started up yet, but I, I wanted him back. I think I did, actually, because I was referencing PFF, and that was when we brought back somebody else who was not good. And it was like, we had the option between Tremont Williams and that guy, and you brought in that guy. Who was that? He, he was a Jaguar, I think. Oh, Devon House. He was a Packer. He went to Jacksonville. Tremont went to Cleveland. Both of them spent two years there. Both of them left after two years. Devon House and Tremont Williams become available, and it's like, please get Tremont, please get Tremont, please get Tremont. And they get Devon House. Devon House comes here, and he's just horrible. No offense to Vaughn, but I mean, it it didn't go great. Tremont spends one year in Arizona. He was literally one of the best corners in football that year, and I was just furious. He becomes available again, and I'm just begging and pleading. Sure enough, they pick him up this time around. I'm sure Mike Pettin played a role in that because he was in Cleveland as the head coach, so there was familiarity there. Just just a big old happy family. But, it, you know, 2018, he graded out his average. It wasn't his best year ever. Certainly wasn't the 81.5 he was in Arizona. But 2019, he really popped off. He was a very good corner last year for the Packers. And it was kind of sad because you knew we're probably not bringing this guy back. But he was re- he really was good. In fact, I think he might have been the highest graded corner on our entire team. Because I don't think Jair was quite that good last year. I mean, he was good, but I don't know if he was... They were probably pretty comparable. And Kevin King was obviously down, 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 down. Somewhere down, somewhere. 
So you kind of worry, like, man, I don't know what we're going to do. So, I, you know, I don't know that he comes back here and just automatically relives that magic. You know, in Baltimore, overall, his grade was quite low, although he had, you know, it was kind of alternating bad, good, bad, good, bad, good, bad. The one extremely exciting thing about him on defense is that he had 15 tackles, three assisted tackles, and not a single miss. He has been one of the best tackling corners in football, which you think, who really cares about that kind of stuff? But if you know anything about the Green Bay Packers, you know that if you don't have tackling corners, you're kind of in a lot of trouble. Plus, look at Jair. The guy's a missile when somebody throws in that direction, and we love it for a reason. It's important. It's the difference between that and on the other side, Kevin King standing there waiting for the guy to run at him, and he gets seven yards. Jair just gets shot out of a cannon, and they lose three yards on that play. It is important. Um, as far as special teams, you know, I know a lot of people think he's just being brought in for special teams, which wouldn't, again, that wouldn't be the worst thing either. Our special teams is a disaster, and he, if he can just be halfway competent, cool. We, we got our guy. Um, he didn't do any returning for Baltimore, but he was on special teams. Uh, he just kind of graded out his average, which, to be honest, would probably make him our best special teamer um, on the on the team because uh, we don't have a lot of lot of don't <laughs> have a lot of average talent on special teams. But I don't know. I, I mean, he doesn't really have all that much experience with that either. Um, he's got one kick return to his name. That was Green Bay in 2014 um, for zero yards. He has 14 punt returns. One in 2015 with Cleveland for one yard. One in 2016 with Cleveland for four yards. Actually, no, that was... How does that make sense? I don't know. He didn't return it. It was fair caught. And then in 2018, which is probably why Packer fans feel this way, he has he was back to return 12 times. He had a 36 overall punt return grade. He returned those 12 punts for 83 yards. He did have a 23-yard return, 6.9 average. Doesn't seem that bad, but he did have two muffed punts out of 12, which is 1 in 6. I don't know that I love that. He didn't do any in 2019, didn't do any in 2020. So I, I, I just, I would be a little surprised if this was our solution. I'll be honest, off the top of my head, I didn't realize it was that bad, but he has almost no experience and he drops punts way too often. I'm thinking that's maybe not it, you know, but I, who knows. So again, I don't, I don't exactly know what he brings to the table. I know he's got a lot of experience. I know he's going to provide a lot of depth, which, which if nothing else is great. Same with Valdir. We just need to avoid at this point a catastrophic injury. You look at what happened with Pat Mahomes. I mean, if if he doesn't play, which, you know, I, I understand both sides of it. Well, there's no way he's not going to play. Well, there is a way. I mean, standard procedure is seven days. I mean, on average, a concussion like that takes seven days. That puts us right at the day. And we've seen several players that just are not back. Now, it's possible that people are saying that the doctors are just going to let him go even though he has a horrible concussion and shouldn't be playing, but that would be kind of criminal. And they do have an independent neurologist for this reason, somebody not tied to the NFL. Again, if we want to believe that the NFL has him in his pocket and he's just going to lie so that Pat Mahomes can play, I don't know. But I'm saying it's, it's not necessarily a foregone conclusion. I think he will play. And I think they're definitely going to push it, and it has to be, you know, 100,000%. And, you know, if he says he's not ready to go, they'll probably get a second, third, fourth, fifth opinion. I don't know if they're allowed to do that, but they'll probably try. But the, the point is, it's going to ruin them. And, and there's no question about it. If Aaron Rodgers goes down, we're done. But you want to minimize that as much as possible. We lost David Bakhtiari, we're okay. If you bring in Valdir, we can possibly still lose another tackle and still be okay. At corner, it's pretty thin. We've got our three guys, and then what? I don't know that Tremont is automatically a better corner, but I know that if somebody goes down, I'd like him to be able to step in. I'm trying to do this 
podcast. I hear noises at 4 o'clock in the morning. Make me walk around with a knife. Stupid noises. What were we talking about? Well, I've got to hurry this up because this uh, thing has crashed on me twice now. So the last 10 minutes got erased. I spent three minutes explaining that the file got erased and it just crashed again. So um, let me try very quickly to summarize what I had said. Don't mind my phone playing music. Um, geez. Bottom line is, I, I, I don't know why he's coming in. Did we talk about special teams? I don't even remember. Uh, quick summary, if we didn't. Um, he hasn't done it very much, and he's not very good at it, and I don't think that's why they're bringing him back. Um, otherwise, the, the only other thing of substance that I know that I talked about and got erased was the comparison to Chandon Sullivan. Like, if you just did a side-by-side comparison, they both grayed out for the season about the same low 60s. The interesting thing about Chandon, and we had a little Chandon appreciation time before, again, all got erased. But, um, again, to quickly summarize, the cool thing about Chandon, aside from the fact that he's done a great job all year, I'm just going off the top of my head now, I think the the only game he had where he gave up substantial yards was against Minnesota. He gave up 75. Otherwise, 49 is the highest he's given up in terms of yardage. Um, he just doesn't give up a lot of yards. I think he's given up two touchdowns. He's got a pick and four pass breakups, something to that effect. The other really exciting thing is you can add him to the list of guys that have really come on strong recently. He's had four games where PFF has given him a 70 or higher grade, so it's four really good games. Again, that doesn't mean he's been bad the rest of the year, just four really standout performances. Of those four, three of them have come in the last four weeks. So I've, I've spent almost no time all year talking about Chandon Sullivan, and... Um, it's, it's time to start appreciating him. The other cool thing, if I, you know, we do that little thing where we look at the last four games, which again is weird because it's it includes playoffs. Some of these guys who are not in the playoffs, it's only their last three games, weeks 15, 16, and 17. But whatever, it doesn't matter. If you look at weeks 15, 16, 17, and we'll add the divisional round of the playoffs in there, and again, it's, it's not a cumulative thing. It's just a grade. It's an average, so it, it doesn't, it's not overinflated for the Packers. The second highest graded corner is Jair Alexander. The fourth highest graded corner is Chandon Sullivan. The only guy that's even somewhat close that is still in the playoffs is Teron Johnson in Buffalo. Chandon, those four games, has an 87.8 overall grade. Jair with a 90.2. The only guy with a higher grade is Jonathan Jones in New England, 91.7. So, I mean, you know, we'll see what happens, but Chandon deserves a little bit of respect, and so that's what we're going to do with this little segment here is give him some respect. Anyways, we're going to take a break here just because, again, we got to kind of hurry it up now that I lost so much time. I want to pick up where we left off yesterday after the break and look at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense, give an idea of where they're at. I kind of touched on it slightly when I went off on my offensive line tirade, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of get it top to bottom looked at, again, more closely than just what most people are doing, which is either looking at things for the year or just going off of their big name and saying so-and-so is elite or whatever, you know, just kind of look at it honestly. But uh, again, if you want to support the podcast, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. You can support what I'm doing here for as little as a dollar a month. Just a buck, man. That's all it is. It would be greatly appreciated. Maybe help me buy a new knife collection so I can get something a little bit more sturdy so when somebody comes in my window, I don't have to worry about some flimsy knife that uh, doesn't really do the job. You know what I mean? I guess I could also just get a gun, but from what I understand, those are not easy to buy these days. It's also just weird with kids. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of for the kids, but it's like, I just, I don't. I don't know. It's, it's like anything. There's, there's a list of things I keep saying I need to do, and I'm just not doing it. Getting a gun is one of them. 
I should have one. I just, I don't know. You got to do stuff. Probably got to fill out paperwork. I was driving with an expired license for like a month and a half, and then I realized you can just do it online in about five minutes. I was like, oh, sweet. Now, now I have a license. That's legal. Life insurance, a will. It's like, yeah, I know. I'll get it. I just don't feel like it. I'm probably not going to die this week. Hopefully. Although, really thought I was about to when I heard that crashing noise upstairs. Anyways, none of this concerns you, so I'll, uh, we'll just take a break. We'll come back and talk about Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So before we get there, I was just reminded on the Twitters by, uh, let's see, by Matu, that's at Hantaran. Language. I gotta look this up. Find out what is that German or what's going on here. Edgy and disaffected. Fair enough. Anyways, Matu says, and let me let me read the tweet that he sent to me first. This is from Scott Smith, who is a Bucks reporter. Says rookie safety Anton Winfield Jr. says Bucks players haven't really discussed the cold weather expected in Green Bay on Sunday because they don't think it'll be a factor. This comes on the heels of the head coach apparently saying the exact same thing. It doesn't really matter. We got heaters on the sideline. We don't care about the cold. Now, it's it's painfully obvious that this is a strategy. He believes that the best way to handle the cold weather situation is to play it down. He doesn't want there to be this psychological warfare beforehand where the Packers win before the Bucks even show up with fear. I don't think that's the best strategy. I really don't. I, I just think... If I was the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I would go in and say, listen, this is not something we need to get psyched out about, but it's a factor, just like everything else, just like training, nutrition, hydration. There's a way to properly prepare because this is a, this is a, this is not a mental thing. I mean, it's partly mental, but it is a physiological thing. And if you come in with no preparation, it's no different than not preparing for the game, not prepare. I mean, again, stretching, hydrating. When you eat, how much you eat, sleep, all these things that you have to do to make sure that your body is properly prepared for the day's events, right? I mean, they, they, they have, it's mapped out for when you travel so that, you know, you have enough time at home to practice, but you also have time to get acclimated. All these different things are perfectly and precisely mapped out to optimize the team. If you're not in any way preparing for the cold, I think you're out of your mind. Again, don't let your guys get psyched out and just be, you know, but just tell them, 
we just got to be smart. We got we got to make sure that we're doing the right things. And here's how I want everybody to handle the cold. Because I'll tell you what, it is a big deal. Um, I think the head coach is flat out lying. Maybe he just doesn't know. I don't. I'm sure he's been in the cold sometime recently. I mean, he's he's in Florida. Before that, he was in Arizona. So he's not super used to the cold. The only time he would have done it, unless he's got family that that he visits in winter up, up north somewhere, which I doubt. Um, the only time he's ever gotten up north is when it's cold. And I'm I'm now I'm curious when that would have been. I mean, Washington. I mean, it was it was almost 50 degrees in Washington. It was a low of 32 on that day, and I'm sure that was at like one in the morning. It was in the 40s the entire time that they were playing in Washington. So that's not cold. I mean, he was in Arizona in 2017. Let's see, in January, he was in L.A., Arizona, Arizona, uh, New York Giants, December 13th. Sorry, December 24th, he played the Giants. Again, 40s, 2016, Arizona, Arizona, New Orleans, Miami, uh, Washington, December 4th. I, I just, I don't know the last time he's been in this level of cold before. Just to give you an idea, and by the way, one thing I forgot to mention, wind is a massive, 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 massive factor. If you don't live in the cold, let me let me enlighten you into to something here. I would rather it was 5 degrees and no wind than 25 degrees and windy. And it's not even close. It's really not even close. When it's not windy, you can bundle up and it's like you're good, right? The direct cold on your face is pretty cold in 5 degrees or 0 degrees or whatever, but it's not that bad. The wind is what'll kill you. It cuts through everything you have. And I I was thinking about, I went out yesterday. I wanted to heat up my car at work. I never do that, but it's like I I had some, I just wanted my car to be warm, you know? I don't have very good heat. It kind of like trickles. It doesn't really blow out of my car. So it's like, I just, you know, usually the heat doesn't start warming up until I just about get home. Anyways, I I walk out to my car and I I had like a sweatshirt on, but but not a jacket. I'm like, ah, I'm just going to go out to my car. I don't need to throw my jacket on. The wind was howling yesterday. I thought I was going to die. I just walked out to the parking lot to start my car and back. It took me two minutes. I about curled up in the fetal position and just, you know, called home. Uh, guys, I, I'm so sorry. Just tell the kids I love them. I thought I just, I thought I was going to die. It was horrible. It's that whole thing where it's like, should I start running? Or, do, you know, am I, do, do I have too much pride to, to do that? And I had too much pride to allow myself to run to evade the cold, so I just stuck it out, but it was just, it was horrible, and then in my head, I'm thinking, these guys are playing football, they don't even have a sweatshirt on, like, they'll have, like, an undershirt, and that's it, otherwise, they got that jersey that just has holes in it, if the wind is blowing, and Lambeau Field, and it's 25 degrees, I just, I don't know how in the world they're going to be able to do that, again, better to be five and no wind than 25 and windy. And it's, again, it's not even close. So the psychological aspect is stupid to me. Like, you know, I mean, it it reminds me of when the Giants came up and they're running around without their shirts on. That's stupid. I mean, first of all, there are actual physiological things that take place when your body is cold. The number one thing is it makes you tired because your body is shivering the whole time and it wears you out. You don't want to be Mr. Tough Guy. It completely drains your body. So stay warm. Take as much time as you possibly can to get acclimated to the cold, get used to it. Hopefully you're on the field playing and sweating and stuff so that it's not as cold, but it's brutal, man. It does say now Sunday is up to 29, which sucks. It's starting to warm up. 
I was hoping the cold would push forward. It seems to be pushing back. It was supposed to be, it was 18 on Saturday. Now it's 22 on Saturday, 29 on Sunday. It seems like it's getting warmer and warmer. It's actually like peaking on Sunday, obviously, which, I mean, it's still cold, man. It's still frigid. And the, the biggest thing, again, is going to be the wind. Right now they're talking four, five, six mile an hour wind, which, I mean, yesterday it was probably 20 mile an hour wind. So it's probably going to be relatively mild as far as cold goes, but it's still cold. And, and again, you have to prepare for it. You have to have some kind of a strategy. There needs to be some kind of a book on this. And what do you do in the cold and, and tell your guys what to do? The idea that, well, we got heaters on the sideline. Oh, okay. And so what? Everybody's going to crowd around the heaters? It, it doesn't make the whole sideline 70 degrees. That's not what the heaters do. There's the direct heat blowing on you. Then there's the further away you get from it, the more it's just freezing cold. You're not in a heated cocoon. You also, maybe not you as much, your players have to take the coat off and run out on the field. To have no preparation for cold is just stupid. It's not, I mean, there's this whole, like, macho man, like, oh, we're not worried about it, we don't care. Doesn't bother, unless they're just lying and they're talking about it a lot. There has to be a plan. You have to put in place. This is what I expect you to do, because the cold has an effect on your body, especially when you're not acclimated to it. And we don't want there to be negative effects. I mean, there is a reason that the cold weather has an impact. There's a reason why the Bears and the Packers tend to win more in the cold than other teams. I went through the records. Teams don't manage very well in the cold. Golf is garbage in the cold. Breeze is garbage in the cold. All these guys, they play a lot worse in the cold. And again, I know Tom Brady knows how to handle the cold, but he's not acclimated to it. And most of those other guys do not, including Mr. Bruce Arians, who doesn't feel like we need to even talk about it. Again, I went back to 2017. I can't find a single game where it was this cold. I don't know when the last time he would have been in this kind of cold would be. Again, maybe he has family in Canada, but that doesn't mean he has to go there in January. I don't know. He was in Arizona where it's 100 degrees, and then he moved to Florida. He retired in Florida, and then he took a job out of retirement in Florida. Because he's already on the beach, and he's like, yeah, I'll do a job, but it's got to be in Tampa. Because that's kind of where I live, and that's where I want to stay with my family. Okay, dude. Cool. Best of luck. <sighs> I really don't have time, but we got to make time. All right. Rapid fire now. Thanks to this program crashing twice and having to do a sweep of the house, um, we've got limited time. So just looking at their defense, and again, this is sort of the, the disconnect. If you look at their defense... They don't have a lot of guys that grade out very well. I know they have a talented defense, um, but in terms of, you know, when you think back on really good defenses like the Legion of Boom, they've got just unbelievable players everywhere. That's not really the case here. Um, The highest graded guy that they have is a guy that doesn't play, so small sample size, basically. That would be Herb Miller. Um, He basically had one freakish game on 15 snaps, and so whatever. After that, the highest graded guy is Vita Vea. And that is a big factor coming in. Um, he's just he's just a good football player. Now, his grade is also a little overinflated because he hasn't played since week five, which is why even if he comes back, I don't know that he just gets thrust thrust into, you know, a, a massive role. So his his overall grade, obviously, is, is somewhat inflated because he only played five games. Um, granted, three in a row, he was just super dominant. He actually does a very good job as a pass rusher, which is pretty staggering considering he is a 347-pound nose tackle. He had 16 pressures on 138 attempts. The last three weeks, he had four pressures in every single game. Four pressures on 27 attempts, four pressures on 25 attempts, four pressures on 34 attempts. He had two sacks in that stretch. So he was a dominant pass rusher as well as being a very good run defender. But again, small sample size. I'm sure if there were 16 games in here, he wouldn't have done that every single week. 
And beyond that, again, it's just he's got a lot of rust to knock off. We talked about how the Packers were really bad against Tampa last time, and a lot of those guys, they didn't play for two weeks. Devontae had been out since week one. Uh, we didn't have Lazard. Rashawn was out for the last two weeks. There was the bye week, and then he was also out the week before that. There was a lot of guys the week before the bye, they sat out and gave him just the full two weeks to recover and come back against Tampa. And every single one of those guys didn't play very well. If you look at Vita Vea, his two worst games were the first two games of the season. You know, he had two games in the 60s before he kind of shook the rust off and started dominating everybody's face. So, I mean, I, I, there's no question he's a good football player, and it's definitely going to hurt to get him back, especially since the style of football. I mean, one of the things that we've been talking about is the best way to attack them is running the ball up the middle. Vita Vea changes that whole dynamic. becomes a lot harder to do that. Now you start playing games where if Vita Vea's on the field, you start throwing a lot more, and you try to get him to stay on there, and you tire him out, because at 350 pounds in the freezing cold, I mean, it's, it's not fun. But, you know, these things are, are great in theory, but they're, you know easier said than done considering he's a competent pass rusher and they have other guys that do a decent job of getting after the quarterback um you can say we're just going to throw 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 to keep Vita Vea on the field but maybe you don't want to maybe you're struggling to throw and you need to be able to run the ball so it it, it all just kind of comes into play um Vita Vea is just a giant question mark is he going to play how good is he going to be able to play having not played basically the whole season they all kind of factor in here uh the only other guy that is in a uh 80 or above grade is Mr. Mike Edwards. Mike Edwards has been playing the whole season. Basically, he's mostly been terrible with a couple of unbelievable games. Three of those games were his first three games. Week three against Denver, week six against Green Bay, and then against Las Vegas, he had a 97.6 overall grade, basically one of the highest, if not the highest grade of any player the entire season. However, from week week eight to week 17, he had two games in which he was graded out as good. He has got a 40 mixed in, a 20 mixed in, another 40 mixed in. So he's super volatile. He's not a starter. He's he's a uh, kind of a rotational guy. He'll get 10 snaps a game or whatever. Um, he had one game against Washington. He had another elite performance. So it's just, it's mostly bad with a couple good games mixed in. Again, since week eight, he's got three good games. So it's deceptive to just look at his overall grade for the season. Um, he's okay, I guess. Then we come down to the guy that everybody's super scared of, Levante David. More people will probably say Devin White because he, he had a big game last week and he's a young, you know, he's one of those, all the, I've said this a thousand times, all the young, fast rookies the media just falls in love with. None of them are really that good. Devin White is the third lowest graded player on their entire defense, but, you know, whatever. Levante David has consistently been one of the more dominant linebackers since basically 2017. Something clicked in his head. He's fantastic. He's 31 years old, but he still plays very, very well. Um, but even he is inconsistent. Uh, if you look at his grades, he's got, since week 11, one really good game, and that was week 16 against Detroit. Otherwise, 55, 49, 66, 58, 68, 69, and 43 against New Orleans. Um, against New Orleans, he had six tackles, one assist, and two missed tackles. He was targeted five times. Four of them were caught for 31 yards, didn't have any pass breakups or interception. And I think that's one of the really big factors that people don't talk about enough these really fast linebackers and Levante David isn't really really that fast he runs a 465 and that was back in 2012 but fast enough right but the amount of missed tackles and if we look at Devin White who is a number five overall pick in 2019 everybody gushes over him Devin White legitimately fast running a 442 he's got 18 missed tackles on 106 tackles 18 missed tackles and Levante David 107 tackles 17 missed tackles so, again, I, I need to work out some kind of a ratio, but these guys are not very good tacklers. 
They have massive amounts of missed tackles, and it's kind of just unacceptable. On top of that, Devin White is legitimately a terrible coverage receiver or coverage linebacker. He's he's putrid. He's horrible. And and people don't acknowledge that because they, they say, well, he's really fast and he's really good against the run. He has a 38 run defense grade and a 47 coverage grade. The only thing he's grading out well as is a pass rusher. He has 31 pressures on uh, 120 attempts. He has a 38 run defense grade. Again, he's really, really fast. So yes, if you try to get to the outside and he's unblocked, he's going to make a tackle, which is going to happen a lot if the entire design of your run game is to get a center to cut him off, and that's your whole strategy. Well, he's probably not going to get cut off, and if he's the only guy you have blocking Devin White, then yeah, Devin White can run in a straight line and tackle a guy. And yes, Devin White did grade out very well last week. He had an 80.6 overall grade, only because he had a 92.3 coverage grade. They gave him a 41 run defense grade. The week before that, he had a 29 run defense grade, 66 overall. Biggest reason he had such a good coverage grade is because he had a pick in that game. And when you're targeted five times and only two of them get caught and one of them's an interception, you have a 32.5 NFL passer rating. Yeah, it's going to look pretty good. But on the season, the guy has been getting picked on. And again, he's one of the worst linebackers in the NFL. He's one of the worst players on this entire team. Now, if you don't want to agree with that, that's fine. I mean, you know, again, anybody that wants to make fun of PFF, that's fine. Go back and watch all of his games and come to your own conclusion. But you got the media that's not paying attention, that loves Devin White because he's fast and he was a number five overall pick, gushing over him. And you have PFF that has multiple people evaluating every single snap of every single play, saying, no, he's, he's kind of garbage. I, I Make what that of you will. Levante David is the really good player. 74 run defense grade, 83 coverage grade. Not Devin White. Um, after that, they've got, let's see, of guys that actually start, Jamal Dean, Anthony Nelson, kind of Ross Cockrell and Shaquille Barrett are the only guys left that are in the 70s. Shaquille Barrett barely makes the cut. Ross Cockrell, by the way, is a cornerback. He's played only half the season starting in week 10. Um, He's got a decent overall grade, but basically the last three weeks, 43, 56, 61. He's completely fallen off. I don't know if teams have just kind of picked up on how to attack him or what the situation is, but he has not had a good game since week 16 against Detroit, and he was really solid coming out of the gate. So again, I mean, what what is it about the team that's so dominant? I mean, they, they do a good job of, of scheming, but I just, I don't know, man. Sean Murphy Bunting has a 57 overall grade. That's their corner. Uh, Carlton Davis is a 69. Jamal Dean is a 74. This is, this is the cornerback group after we just faced the most dominant cornerback group in football last week. This is what they now have. Jamal Dean hasn't, I mean, he's had one good game since week six, last time he played the Packers. He's had two elite games, and it was against Chicago and Green Bay back-to-back. That's it. Since then, he's had one really good game against Atlanta. But since week 7, 57, 43, 51, 69, 63, 87, 42, 63, 46, 69. He's been kind of garbage. Again, he's got some good games mixed in, and he played unbelievably against the Packers the last time they played. It was the only game all year he allowed zero receptions was against the Packers. But he's given up 408 yards, which isn't terrible, but he's given up five touchdowns. And no, he hasn't been getting better down the stretch. He's been kind of bad. Carlton Davis has been consistently average all year. A um, couple good games, a couple bad games mixed in, but he's he's generally kind of a 60s guy. Now, he does give up a billion yards, 947 yards on the season. He's given up six touchdowns. The reason everybody's excited about Carlton Davis, as I said yesterday, four interceptions, 17 pass breakups. When you have a bunch of picks and pass breakups, people say you're elite because all they see are the flashy stats, right? That's why... Guys like that get, you know, 
get a ton of praise and Jair doesn't get as much because when people just don't throw your direction, you don't get a lot of picks. Plus, he does tend to drop a lot of those interceptions and whatnot. He's got a good amount of pass breakups, but point is, this is, whenever you, whenever I see a guy that's kind of mediocre that gets a ton of praise, generally they have a ton of uh, pass breakups and interceptions. But again, he's given up almost a thousand yards on the season. Remember, Jair, 300 and uh, six touchdowns, which is a lot. Granted, three of them came in one game against Kansas City, so it's it's not as bad as it appears, I guess. But um, he's given up multiple really bad games. 73 yards he gave up against Carolina, 63 yards he gave up against Chicago, 52 yards he gave up against the Giants, 69 yards against Carolina. He gave up 102 yards against the Rams, 236 yards and three touchdowns he gave up against Kansas City. That's got to be one of the worst cornerback performances of the year. Uh, 57 yards he gave up against Atlanta, 92 yards he gave up against Washington, and 72 yards he's given up um, this past week against the New Orleans Saints. So he's given up more than 50 yards. In fact, if if you don't count the Minnesota Vikings, where he gave up one reception for five yards, he gave up 102, 236, 57, 92, and 72. He's given up more than 50 yards every single... And and the week before that was 69. Not including Minnesota, he's given up more than 50 yards almost every single week. That's not good, man. That's just that's just not good. And again, you got to watch out. He's a ball hawk. You don't force the ball his way. He's got some good hands. He's got a ton of pass breakups. Probably the reason he has so much is because people throw at him a lot, right? Occasionally, you're gonna you know bump into one of those balls on accident. But he's getting thrown at a ton. That Kansas City game, they targeted him 15 times. 12 were caught for 236 yards, three touchdowns. Yes, he had two pass breakups. Well, duh. <laughs> 15 times they threw at you. You're going to break up a couple. And Sean Murphy Bunting is the young guy, second-round pick in 2019. Um, I mean, he's he's very up and down. He had uh, pretty much a real dry stretch for the most of the second half. He had his first really good game against Atlanta. He fell off again against Washington, then had another really good game. So he's had two really good games out of the last three. Maybe something's clicked. I don't really know the situation there. But even he's given up 851 yards, which, again, is terrible. Seven touchdowns, which, again, is terrible. And he didn't have, like, a three-touchdown game. He gave up one against Washington, two against Atlanta, one against Carolina, one against uh, the Giants, and two against the Chargers. So they're pretty well spread out. Um, on average, 114.8 passer rating when target. He gave up 69, six targets, six receptions, 69 yards in Week 2 against Carolina. Seven targets, seven receptions, 131 yards against the Chargers. Um, against Green Bay, it was only 36 yards. Again, one of his better days coming against Green Bay. But then 72 yards the next week against the Raiders, uh, 65 against the Rams, 60 against Kansas City, 131 yards against Atlanta. That was the first time, not the second time, when he did a good job. Hasn't given up a ton since, but he did give up one touchdown against Washington. So, again, kind of up and down, but these guys are, are prone to really big days. And so when you're looking at it and you're thinking, you know, I wonder if they're going to have a really good day or a really bad day. Again, if we if we disregard week six and we realize how good the Packers are at at winning, <laughs> at getting guys open, and you talk about the different styles of receivers, you got Lazard, the big body guy, you got Tunyon, who's the big body guy, you got Devontae, who's a great route runner, you got uh, MVS, who's a speed guy, you got Equinemius, who's kind of in between, you know, he's a he's a big fast guy. There's so many different ways they can beat you. I mean, it, if if somebody, you know, when was the last time somebody had a really big hundred yard day? Week 15 against Atlanta for. Sean Murphy Bunting, some, they're due. One of these guys is due for a 100-yard day. So, I mean, the, the the cornerback group is prone to fairly big days. you got to be a little bit careful. Don't get careless. You know, they got a ton of turnovers. They're good at that. But uh, so did so did the Rams, by the way. They, they had, what was it, 
something crazy with the Rams. Like there was one game where they didn't have a turnover, but there was also only one game where they didn't get a turnover or something crazy. So you had to be careful with them too. The Packers didn't turn the ball over. And again, these guys largely, they come in spurts. Talked about Mike Edwards, the safety. You also got Anton Winfield, who's consistently average. You know, he's fine. I think Bucks fans really like this guy. Overall for the season, his grades are decent, uh, mostly as a run defender, not as a coverage guy. Now, he's a free safety, which makes that weird. I would have assumed he's he's definitely a, um, a strong safety. 84 run defense grade, 55 coverage grade. Certainly susceptible. I mean, he's given up 340 yards on his own. Safety's usually not... Uh, as big a yards as corners because they don't get targeted as much. He's also given up two touchdowns, 103 passer rating when targeted. He's just kind of mediocre. I mean, the whole DB group is just kind of, I mean, they can do their job. If the defensive front wins and they don't have to hold off very long, they can do a good enough job. But, I mean, this is not a shutdown group. The Rams had a shutdown group. This is not a shutdown group. Uh, Jordan Whitehead is the other safety. Same exact thing. I mean, he's, he's great as a 66. He's mostly average, got some bad games mixed in. Um, two really good games mixed in. I guess we'll give him credit for three. Um, the last three weeks, though, have been terrible, just like a lot of these guys. The last three weeks, Sean Murphy Bunting's done nothing. Uh, Jordan Whitehead's done nothing. And then finally, if we look at this defensive front, which is what everybody's mostly worried about, um, again, the two guys off the edge, Shaquille Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul. Shaquille Barrett is not a guy that grades out very well, but he gets a ton of pressures, right? 82 uh, pressures on 560 attempts is just freakish. It's 14.6%. Now, recently, he hasn't really been all that great. The last time he had a really dominant game was Week 8 against Atlanta. Eight pressures on 36 attempts. But since then, three pressures on 27 is about 10%. Three pressures on 38 is sub-10%. Then in the last week, two pressures on 30 attempts is just not good. So if you factor in that this guy's mostly just a guy that gets a ton of pressures that hasn't been able to do that in four weeks, I mean, this has been the the worst. I mean, just, just listen to the pressures. Pay attention to how many times he's had three or two pressures. Five, 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 six, six, four, 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 eight, four, three, four, six, eight, three, three, two. He didn't have a single game with less than three pressures all year until the last three weeks when he's been three, three, and two. The heck is that about? And again, on the season, 67 run defense grades, 66 tackling, 74 pass rush, and he's a terrible cover guy whenever they decide to drop him. Not surprisingly. I mean, he's no different than Preston. Like, he doesn't really belong out there. But they do it sometimes to confuse things. So, I mean, he, he's the guy I'm most concerned about, but he hasn't been able to do much recently at all. And so, uh, you know, he's had one sack in the last four weeks. Even that game with eight pressures, he didn't have a single sack. So, I mean, it's it's been rough sledding for Shaquille Barrett. I don't know if he's nursing an injury or what, but he hasn't been able to do much. Jason Pierre-Paul, again, 53 pressures on 646 attempts. He had his one big game against Green Bay. Uh, he had another big one, eight pressures against Kansas City. But other than that, his best game was four against Detroit. Uh, outside of that, it's been two against Minnesota, two against Atlanta, one against Atlanta, three against Washington, two against New Orleans. The pass rush hasn't really been there aside from a couple games where it's been in spurt. It's possible it happens again, but he's just generally not very good. His tackling grade is horrible. Run defense grade is a 55, so he's not the best run defender in the world. I mean, again, we, we've faced a lot. I mean, this is a team that's gone up against Khalil Mack, right? We've we've seen a little better than JPP. I mean, I know Jason Pierre-Paul was, was a kind of a good football player in what, like 2014? Not even really. 2012 was when he, nah, I don't know. I mean, his last good grade was 2016, but yeah. Last double-digit sack year? No, that's true. He has double digits this year, and he's not good. So I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. 
Um, but then on the inside, obviously we talked about Vita Vea already. We'll see if he decides to come back or, or if they decide to bring him back and what impact he's going to have. I'm guessing he's going to play. I'm hoping that he's a little bit rusty because, again, he's pretty good. But otherwise, they've got a bunch of guys they rotate in and out. There's four main guys, and Dominican Sue obviously is the big one. Um, you know, he's got a history with Aaron Rodgers, no question about it. But um, to be fair, that was his worst game of the season, according to PFF. He did have two. Pre- he had a sack, which sticks out in most people's mind, right? How could he have a bad day? He sacked Aaron Rodgers. He's got six sacks on the season. He only had two pressures in that game. One of them was a sack. Um, he's got 51 pressures on 627 attempts, so he hasn't really done anything by way of pressures. His biggest thing is he's a good run defender, but even that, it's only a 69 overall grade. He's been trending downward for a while. I mean, he's 34 years old. If you look at his run defense grade, starting from his last season in Detroit, 84, 86, 83, 90, 82, 74 last year, 69 this year, it's just starting to taper quite a bit. So I'm not saying he's not still a big, mean dude, but again, we've gone up against a lot better defensive tackles than this. I mean, he's, he's a big guy. He's strong. Um, he's obviously a dirty player and he's probably good at getting inside guys head, but I mean, this offensive line has been bullying people around for a while. I wouldn't be surprised if they, you know, chip him a little bit extra. I mean, they got inside the Rams heads early. They went over and started chirping. I mean, the Packers don't really do that. They were going over to the sideline, getting in their heads. The second the game started, Devante was on the sideline before the game, just chirping at Jalen. So we'll see what happens. But I, I, again, and, and again, the last three, I don't know what's been going on the last three weeks. 49-57-63 were his, were his grades. The last time he was in the 70s was week 14 against Minnesota. The last time before that was week 9. So, I mean, he's had he's just not been all that great. Another guy they mix in a lot is William Golston. Golston actually is having a very good year as a pass rusher. 52 pressures on 416 attempts is very impressive. He's 6'6", 281, so he is sort of that kind of a build. You know, he's got that Dean Lowry build where he's tall, long, lean, and just his, he's a gap shooter, right? Um, but even so, the last time he graded out well as a pass rusher was week nine. The last time he had a big number of pressure. Again, let me just read it to you. So he had zero in week one, four, two, two, five, three, four, 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 five. Since then, three, two, two, one, three, two. So three of 32, that's less than 10%. Two of 23, that's less than 10%. Two of 31, that's less than 10%. Two on 15 is marginally more. One on 21 is terrible. 3 on 28 is roughly 10%. 2 of 23 is slightly less than 10%. He's barely cracking 10% since halfway through the season. So these stats are largely what he did early on. He hasn't been able to do that as much recently. And and he's just horrific as a run defender. Right, so they have a lot of specialists, right? Golston's going to come in and pass rushing down. Vea is, is the run defense guy. Sue is more of a run defender. But 45 run defense grade, 32 tackling grade. The guy has 31 tackles and five missed tackles. That's that's clearly not great. Another guy they rotate in and out um, is Raheem Nunez Rochez, 62307. I mean, 52 run defense grade, 52 pass rush grade. Uh, he's got 12 pressures on 315 attempts. That's that's as bad as it gets. He's basically useless as a pass rusher. And according to his grade, which is almost the exact same, he's not much of a run defender either. This is a rotational guy, but he plays a decent amount. He's got 552 snaps. He hasn't played less than 30 snaps in the last three weeks. He's been playing a lot. And then um, that's about it. Steve McClendon hasn't played since week six. We'll see if Vita Vea comes back. But again, this is what I'm saying. I I understand they do a good job, right? That I, I have a massive amount of respect for the defensive coordinator because he's doing a lot with not much. 
I'm just not impressed with the with the quality of talent on this roster, right? The Rams, and, and I'm not just saying that. I, I said for the Rams, this is a very good cornerback group. I said Aaron Donald is a scary human being. I mean, that's not debatable stuff. No, I also said everybody else on their team is kind of trash, but it's it, that can be good enough if you've got a really good pass rusher and some shutdown corner. That'll be enough to, to shut up an offense. This team, though, who's going to do what? Who's doing what? Who are you, Who are you scared of? That's the thing. You can name the guys for the Rams. Who's being named for Tampa? We're being told this is a scary defense. No question. Who are the names that you've been hearing? And Dominic and Sue? I'm just curious. I mean, I, I remember John Ledyard, I mentioned yesterday, mentioned one of the corners. I don't remember which. And all he said is he's really good in man, which yeah, maybe, I don't know. I saw one play where he kind of just pushed in. I, I, I don't know. I'm just saying. Have you been hearing names? Have they been naming guys that you need to be scared of? Or is it just generally the defense is good? Because I agree with that. They've been doing a good job, and it's hard to run against them. I mean, they're stifling as a run defense. And that in and of itself is scary. But the defense overall is ranked eighth. And they have given, I mean, 104 yards to the Saints. They gave up 127 two weeks before that to Atlanta. 162 they gave up to Minnesota. 138 to the Saints before that. 101 to the Giants. I mean, they've got some complete shutdown games, but it's not impossible to run against them, right? 37 yards to the Falcons. Obviously, that's unbelievable. 37 to the Rams. But teams have been able to run. By the way, the defense in general just isn't as good as the Rams. Saints got 38 points. Saints, after that, got 34 points, 31 points. Falcons, Falcons, Rams, and Chiefs all got 27. And we've almost every single week in the last four weeks, we've looked at it and said, the Packers have consistently got the most points against this team or second most points against this team of anybody all season. So if that trend continues, there's no way they don't crack 30. I'd, I'd love to dive into that if I had more time. I was supposed to be done 27 minutes ago, way, way over time. But again, I mean, that, that's, that's the biggest thing. And I'm, I don't, I'm not trying to disrespect their defense. They do a good job of, of scheming things. They did a great job of scheming pressure. But look, the, the Packers' offense is way better than they were the last time Tampa Bay played them. I don't think Tampa's as good. Tom Brady's playing great football right now. The offensive side of the ball, maybe they're, they're heating up. I think the defense is cooling off. I, I, I went through the individuals. For the last three weeks, a lot of these guys have done nothing. Three to four weeks. The defense has been slipping. And it doesn't feel like it because it's, well, they won 44 to 27. What are you talking about? Well, that was the Falcons. Falcons are not only horrible, but you allowed 27 points. Then there was Washington, which, I, again, I didn't watch that, but most people that did said they were not impressed by it. They were not impressed by the, the defense and, and what they allowed Washington to do. And then New Orleans allowing 20 is, I would say, impressive. But, again, the individual players, nobody really stood out. I don't know what New Orleans was doing other than having a quarterback with a noodle arm floating some passes up for interceptions and whatnot, which, I, I mean, that, that's your answer, I guess, right there, right? Four interceptions. It's hard to score more than 20 points when four times your offense gives the ball to the other team. Anyways, I got to get going. We're going to look more into this kind of stuff um, tomorrow in terms of the correlation type stuff and whatnot, when they win, when they lose. Have some fun with that, but I got to get going, do another sweep of the house, and then get out of here. You folks, have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.